Welcome to Strength for Today's Pastor, conversations with current senior pastors and leaders which will strengthen and help you in your pastoral ministry. And now, here's your host, Bill Holdridge of Poyman Ministries. Welcome to podcast number 128, Strength for Today's Pastor. And we are with Pastor Alan Stoddard, church planter, Bible teacher, professor, pastor, discipler, former senior pastor, lead pastor of Calvary Chapel, Ruidoso, New Mexico. Now he's living with his wife, Gina, in Granbury, Texas, and is planning on planting a new church there. But anyway, we had a wonderful time, Alan, in our last discussion uh, in episode 127 on the subject of sermon-based small groups. And we referred to your book that you co-wrote with, what's the author's author's name? Forgot. Kenneth Priest. Kenneth Priest. Okay. That should be easy to remember. Kenneth Priest. And the title of that book is Groups That Revitalize Bringing New Life to Your Church Through Sermon-Based Small Groups. And after we concluded the podcast, you and I continued just talking back and forth, and we made the point, as we were sharing, how that sermon-based small groups actually changes our approach in the pulpit, because it helps the pastor rewire his thinking into the thinking that says, this is about the Great Commission. This is about the part of the process that makes disciples, the pulpit ministry. So it actually changes, uh, in some ways, the the end game of the pulpit ministry for the pastor. So that's kind of where we left off last time. That was a really fun discussion. Yes, it was. And we call it extending the sermon to the small group, and it it does. It extends the pulpit ministry in a way that's disciple-based. Well, great. Awesome. I mean, this is that's what this is all about. These two episodes are about disciple making and and best ways to do it. And uh, anyway, that's great. So today we're going to be talking about making disciples, which is, of course, the big picture passion that you have, but you get specific with it. And you wrote, Alan, on your Facebook page, the worst thing Christians and pastors can do is to forget what it's like to be a new believer. And when we do, our passion to share the gospel and to make disciples of new believers diminishes greatly. I want you to unpack that statement a little bit because that's loaded. I loved it, though, because I think there's so much truth in it. Yeah, when I um, became a Christian, I didn't grow up in the church. I knew nothing about the church. And then I became a Christian, and I separated myself from my previous life, and I grew in the Lord. And great. And then I became a pastor and then got educated some, whatever that means, blah, blah, blah. But really, we grow in the Lord. And then what happens is we're institutionalized. Pastors, I, I became institutionalized. So I always think about Rocky Three. you know, when he's, he's won the championship, he's beat Apollo Creed, and now he's the champion and he's comfortable. <laughs> and then Mr. T shows up, Clever mm. Lang, and he's not ready. And I think, oh, one of the things that happens is all of my friends at some point were Christians. And I forgot what it was like to be lost. And 
God brought some people into my life about six years ago and I realized, oh man, I am so far removed. It wasn't intentional, but it just happens in church life that we can get away and we forget what it's like to be lost. We, we just don't remember. Uh, we start living. Uh, so that's where that statement is based out of is that the worst thing pastors can do is to forget what it's like to be new believers because that, this, is the, this is the hard one. It was about six years ago, I had to realize we weren't making disciples the way, with, let me say it like this, effectively and efficiently. And I ran into a guy named John Burton who used to work for Bill Bright, Campus Crusade for Christ. And he was such care, but he was so surgical. He basically helped me realize this. We're not discipling new believers. And the reason why we're not is because, in part, that's where that statement happens. Because once we forget what it's like to be a new believer, then I, I think our affection or our ministry strategies go further too far too fast. And we're so deep that we're not keeping it simple. And that's a staple of the Calvary movement, keep it simple. Um, but we don't have an apparatus. I'll give you an example. If you would go into a room of Christians and you say, how many of you were uh, discipled one-on-one -on -one or one-on-three after you were saved and baptized? You will only see one in 10 of those people raise their hand. Now, I did this just last Friday night in a group of 30 men, and the percentage was 20%, but that's still not good. And, and, and then I did a poll not too long ago with pastors on Facebook Messenger. I texted, oh, Facebook messaged about 12 pastors, 14 pastors, 10 responded. And I asked them, what do you do for new believers? No one had a great answer. And so in the last six years, I've rekindled my efforts on discipling new believers. Again, one in 10 new, new believers gets discipled one-on-one -on -one or one-on-three after they're saved and baptized. Wow. And that, that number motivates us to go, okay, what is there that we can do and how do we do it? What do we do? Yeah, well, for sure. Last time we talked a little bit about the parable of the sower. I, I referenced it. You referenced it. It makes me, what you just said, it makes me think of the parable of the sower because first there's the hearing of the word and then coming to an understanding of it. And then there's the beginning of doing it. But tribulation and persecution arises because of the word. How, if they're not getting discipled, how are they going to be able to withstand or, or endure during those times of hardship so that the soil of their hearts can grow deeper? And then you get into the thorny uh, ground, you know, where the cares of this life begin to choke the word. All of that really is mitigated majorly, isn't it, when we, uh, when we can disciple believers and get them at the beginning and help them to form biblical concepts of how to walk with the Lord. Yes. <laughs> this is a hard discussion because it, it's hard to have the discussion and not come across as we're not getting it right. Yeah, yeah, and, I get it. 
you know, I, I will ask pastors, I'll say, um, I follow the Campus Crusade for Christ model. John Burton gave me intentional content and relating. But what we do with new believers also gets them reproducing with the ability. After four to six months, the new believer is able to turn the content that we give and that person could actually disciple someone else. Now, not every disciple does that, but the, but the strategy is much more, it's stronger and it's more effective. But one of the things that a pastor would have to do is we have to admit one in 10 is not good. And then here's what happens. If, if, you're, if you would be one of those pastors that says, yeah, you're right. We don't have a strategy for discipling new believers. Uh, intentional content and with the expectation to earlier in the Christian life, get them reproducing and all that that would look like. But if we, that has to be a reality that we admit. Mm. Mm. And what happens is we start throwing people into church and that's good. But like you just said in the parable, the enemy comes after them and they don't know exactly what to do. And if they're in a group that's too big, they're going to slip out and we're not going to know it. Yeah. As opposed to having a plan to go, okay, if you're a new, new believer, we, we have an expectation here that we've got people that will disciple you. I had a 65 year old lady during the pandemic. I did a Zoom class on one-on-one disciple making stuff. I had 10 people in the class, but it was new believer follow-up, newer, younger believer follow-up, 65 years old. She hit me up and said, Alan, can I jump in that class? I've never been discipled. I'd like to go through it. I said, yes, ma'am, of course, jump in. So this isn't just like an 18 year old, a 22 year old, there are many Christians, they've never had the foundation of the content that we give. Well, okay, the word content. So what is the content? Okay, the content we give is, I call it four essential truths. Um, a couple of my other brothers, I think, call it four foundational truths. But what we do is we teach people four things, and it takes me about a month in each one of those things, The first one is having confidence in your relationship with God. And we have imagery that we draw on a piece of paper. We don't use another book other than the Bible for new believers. We don't think they're going to read it. We think if it requires homework, we don't want them to be turned off by the requirement of homework other than what we give them from the Bible. So we teach them having confidence in relationship with God. This is what happened to you, and this is what it means. The doctrine of salvation and the doctrine of assurance. And, and it's amazing. When we ask people, which one of these two, we call it circles, the natural man from 1 Corinthians 2 and the spiritual man from 1 Corinthians 2, we ask, which one of these two best represents your life? Most Christians, I asked it the other night at a Friday night retreat. I asked 30 men, almost, set, I would say 70% of the room said, I'm somewhere in the middle. And it always happens. And then when they figure out what we're teaching, they go, oh, no, 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 I'm, in the, sp- I'm the spiritual man, I'm, I'm a Christian. Now, we don't, we don't ask them, are you an unbeliever or a believer? We ask them, what do you think it takes to become the nat- from move from the natural man to the spiritual man? Not by works, lest any man should boast. And yet they will answer in the middle. Hmm. And what that tells us, 
Bill, is that works-based righteousness is creeping in. It's a hard beast to get off of people. They feel guilt. So we disciple confidence in your relationship with God. And then the second move about five weeks later, when I do it, is experiencing the love and forgiveness of God. We add a third circle and that teaches the worldly man and that you're a Christian, yes, and your relationship with God in the family is based on Christ alone, faith alone, and his work alone. However, you still have a sinful nature. What are you going to do with it? So I call this an essential truth because new believers need to know you have a sinful nature and, and, and we want to teach you how to, how to manage that, how to live in the reality of it, and how to have victory experientially uh, in your life. And so we call it experiencing the love and forgiveness of God. And we teach people, disciple it. It's funny, I've heard it my whole Christian life, but until I got discipled it, I just wasn't experiencing it. I would stockpile my sins. God, we're about to do communion. Would you please forgive me of everything I've done since I took it last? <laughs> Functional Catholicism almost. Mm-hmm. And and we're, we we disciple it. We teach guys keep short accounts with God. Now, now again, let me go back to the beginning. We're thinking like new believers now. Not like not like me and you now. We know all this, man. We got victory. We're we're 30, 40 years down the road in this. The guy that's only been a Christian two weeks, he's in trouble. Mm-hmm. And somebody's got to pull him aside and say, hey, man. So experiencing the love and forgiveness of God. Number three, being living, I call it living filled with the Spirit. We talk about the empowered life. I noticed you did some uh, YouTube uh, podcast on baptism of the Spirit and filled with the Spirit. And and I really enjoyed those um, we teach guys how to live filled with the Spirit of God that gives us a chance very early in the Christian life to say, God has come into your life and now you can disciple the things of the Spirit out. And then the last one is walking in the Spirit, which is a basic lesson in uh, what we would call the externals. What do you mean by that, externals? Okay, I was hoping you would say that. So <laughs> the things I just listed, those four things, and I can send you those to put in the Please. show notes if you'd like. Please, yeah. But but the internals versus the externals, and here's the philosophy on that. Man, so I, I said in the beginning, most of my friends were Christians about six to eight years ago. And I, I was around religious people. No problem. It's not a problem. It's, it happens. It's what we're supposed to do. But the other part was I realized, oh, I'm not. So a guy named Tim Ebert showed up on the scene. He came from Casper, Wyoming. He, um, he was way off base. He was a binge partier. He was a wild man. Came to Rui Doso and he got saved, got baptized. I started discipling him, accelerating the story. So he still smoked. He still was smoking some weed. He was partying a little bit. He was drinking a little bit. He uh, still cussed. Um, he was. He was. He got saved, but he was in the flesh. He was trying to make the break with the things that were not delivered from in the Damascus Road experience that he had. And never once did I say, "Stop smoking. Stop drinking. Stop cussing. Stop this. Stop that." I. I, I said, "The Lord just led me." And through John Burton, he also helped us to 
to uh, realize don't go messing with external practices and habits in a person's life until you've spent enough time with them to invest in them the internals, confidence in your relationship with God, experiencing the love and forgiveness of God, and being filled with the Spirit. We're, we're kind of like, hey, who are we to overly judge these guys off uh, up front when we haven't even spent time with them? That's just wrong. And so what happened was I started discipling him. I discipled him, uh, Jonathan Allen, and Jeremy Wood for one year at Zoka Coffee Shop, 7 a.m. And I didn't mention their habits. Now, my wife did when Gina does it. You know, the wives do it, and they come off looking like queens. We do it, and we look judgmental. <laughs> but here's what happened. As I discipled Tim, those habits, God started to get those away from him on his own. And there was this, Chuck Smith, grace changes everything. Yeah. There was this grace changes everything experience that Tim was like, wow, you never judge me. You never this and that. Now, if he was running off a cliff, I would stop him. But I didn't mess with certain things. That's the internals versus the externals are, do you come to church? Do you dress like this? Are you reading your Bible? Um, are you giving? Are all the how-tos and or habits that a person brings into the Christ relationship. Oh, great That was a lot. Sorry. No, no, great distinction. Reminds me of Titus 2, the grace of God that brings salvation to all men has appeared, teaching us to deny that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly and righteously in this present age. It's the grace of God that teaches that. It's not the law. You don't bring out the two tablets and, and, and hope that that's what's going to do it. It's not the law. Right? It's, it's Mount Calvary, not Mount Sinai, right? So I love what you're Amen. doing. I love that. Four, four uh, uh, sessions, four seasons, breakdown type thing. That's great. That's awesome. Appreciate that. And I'm going to appreciate the show notes as well. Uh, yeah. Looking, looking forward to seeing those. So, you know, I'm thinking, Alan, I can't help it, based upon our last podcast where we kind of concluded with the idea of doing a, a Zoom training kind of a yeah. thing. <laughs> Can you see what I'm going to say now? Yeah. Uh, this would be oh, yeah. great. I mean, you know, with your, what you're talking about, and, and boy, present company included, failing as a pastor to really do a good job discipling new believers during my ministry, uh, but wanting to do it. Everybody wants to do it. So this is really key, and the fact that it's Bible only is awesome. <laughs> I love that, and it's doable. I mean, it's yeah. because it's our experience. I mean, you've experienced those four stages. I've experienced those four stages. So we know the Bible passages that that the Lord used to help us understand aspects of confidence and assurance, and you know, empowerment and walk in the Spirit. Those kinds of things. Uh, so we can do this. We can do this. Sounds simple. We, we, we think that those are essential truths. I know I'm repeating, but they're essential truths that a new believer needs right away. Yeah, it makes sense. And when you got guys and gals that come with dysfunction, problems, they're battered by life, and they're just needing that. Uh, and it's not just for, you know, the person that is... Um, a drug addict or something like that. It's not just for them. But when you come with any kind of baggage, what we found is that we as the church, we're slow to the punch on helping them uh, live victoriously 
in the Christian life. And here's, here's the little thing that I've noticed. And, you know, I, I did evangelism training with some of the best on the planet. Roy Fish at Southwestern Seminary, he's in heaven, but he's probably trained more people in evangelism. Greg Laurie, I've gone to his crusades. I've worked as a decision counselor with Greg's. And I don't know Greg, made it sound like I knew Greg, <laughs> but I love his ministry. Um, and, and here's the thing. Um, we, we are slow to the punch on this and we need, we have to admit that we're not where we need to be. And then it, it doesn't take that much to, to implement, uh, a newer, younger believer follow-up strategy. And we've found that when they come, they're just, if I were to go, I've had this conversation. So I ask a pastor, I say, okay, disciple making using Robert Coleman's uh, book, Master Plan of Evangelism. Uh, I, I took his eight things and I make them into three. Relational, intentional, reproducible. And if I ask a pastor and I say, well, is your strategy repro uh, relational? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm and we go, yes, we know. You're relating to people. We get it. Do you have intentional content? And sometimes people say, oh, there's many ways to do it. We know there's many ways to do it. And we agree. This is not the only thing to do. And what will happen is people will start getting all their little books out, their new believer books and, and all this. We're not against it. We don't want anyone to think we're against that. However, usually it's, it's not, it's two things. One, it's not essential content. It's not as effective the way we would see it. And then I get the number three. Relational, intentional, reproducible, the conversation's over. Yeah. Uh, we don't tell new believers that they can reproduce out of their life early enough. We have no expectation of that. And we, we tell people, first thing I tell them in the first sit down that I have with them, I could line you up people and tell you, they'd tell you, what's the first thing Alan tells you? And they'll end up with, it's not for you. <laughs> Yeah, this is for you, but we want you to know that you're going to be able to internalize this content to where in about six months to a year, you're going to be able to take a new believer. You may fumble through some of the content, but you're going to have it so internalized that if you'll stick with us 75% of the meetings once a week for four to six months or to a year, I took a year with Tim Ebert because he traveled. But if, if a person will do it, I you would be able to say, okay, could you disciple this person? And they will know what they do and they will be able to get it out. It works. Mm, wow. That's a great segue into the next thing that we're going to talk about, Alan. And, and that has to do with this, you know, the, the Robert Coleman master plan of yeah. evangelism concept. And you put a, uh, a meme on your Facebook page that had two funnels. And the first funnel on the left-hand side described modern-day discipleship. And the, and the funnel on the right-hand side, which was upside down, had Jesus' discipleship strategy, which is actually right-side up. But anyway, <laughs> be that as it may, right? Uh, it was just uh, very intriguing. And I know you've gotten a lot of feedback and a lot of uh, interaction about that particular thing. But... It would be great to, for you to break that down a little bit and, and describe what that meme is. I know they don't have a graphic in front of them, but describe what the meme is and, uh, and then what it means. Okay, so this was going around Twitter, and I researched it to find out where it came from. It's from 
I, I don't have the book. I never read the book, but it's from Pete Shazaro's book, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. And what he does in this is he points out something that I've been using. I made my own funnel and it didn't look anywhere near as good as his. And I saw this and I thought that is intriguing. On, on the one, there's a funnel and there's a world at the bottom of it. And it says modern day discipleship and the top of the funnel is wide and the bottom of the funnel is narrow. And it says, what do we do? And it's, it's the Western model for church. The, the, we go to the top and we get as many people attending as we can and then connecting them to either a small group or a ministry team, let's say, and then we get them to serve. And the, the funnel is getting smaller as it goes down. And then finally going into all the world is at the very bottleneck of the funnel. And then Jesus' strategy was just the opposite. So what it does is it inverts that funnel. And at the bottleneck, he just started with three. And then he went to 12 as it gets wider and then 70, and then the 500. And then you've got on the left-hand side, modern day discipleship is get them to come to church, get them in a small group, get them serving and get them to go. And it's the amount of people that you get from the top of the funnel to the bottom into going is, is much less. And what this image shows is Jesus started with three, with a few, and he ended up with many. And that's how you and I and others listening are even even in the Christ family, in the kingdom of God, uh, because Jesus started with a few, and then that turned into a spreading movement that has splashed the entire world. And then to take it further, I, I have another image that I put out with just the graphic that, that shows Jesus' model. Jesus spent probably 70, uh, well, I would say it like this. He spent 90% of his time with the three and the 12, and then only 10% of his time in the big group things. And the church today, we spend a majority of our time, 50 to 80%. Um, if you include large groups on Sundays, worship, and then small group life through the week, I would say 80% uh, for the church is spent there. But the way I break it down is this. We spend 50% of our time focusing on worship. We spend 30% of our time on small group life and 20% of our time on the three, Peter, James, and John. And I think those numbers are generous, uh, especially for the Peter, James, and John. But here's the point. The numbers are irrelevant. This is just Coleman's principle of we've got it backwards in many ways. We, we have went with what is needed as a connector in our culture to do attendance and then disciple people down. The problem with that is less and less people get discipled because the funnel gets smaller. We need to think the other way around and start going with three, get people discipled, turn it into 12, get them discipled, let it turn to 70 and, and, and God uses it. I, I have had so much interest in this. I think there's a hunger in the body of Christ right now to get discipleship right and to make some, some small nuanced changes in churches so that we can see this happen. I think people are just hungry for it. Again, we, we this this is a training, isn't it? This is a this is a discussion. Yes. This is a Zoom thing. This is a conference. This is a mini huddle. Whatever we, whatever can be done. I can I can tell you this based on our discussion in the previous podcast. Uh, there, I'm going to get on it, and I'm going to I'll coordinate some with you, and I'm going to get it out there that we're going to do a couple of Zoom things, and one of them will be on this topic. We've done it before a couple years ago, 
and we just didn't have the same traction. Uh, but I have pushed this out to Calvary pastors before, and they're hungry for the new believer follow-up thing. And here's the problem. It's pastors having to say, okay, I'm making the decision. I've got to get this done. It has to happen. Yeah. And once that happens, the rest will fall in place. But it has to make, it has to make the pie chart. Yeah. I look at the left side of the graphic, the meme, Alan, you know, the modern-day model, get a many to attend, and eventually it gets down to the go, which becomes a small percentage. I look at that, and I, you know, I see, you know, I, I see churches. I see a lot of churches, and pastors all have great hearts, great attitudes. What they really want to do is fulfill the Great Commission. But with this model, what tends to happen is we come up with a four-point statement that is a person's pathway to maturity or pathway to involvement or pathway to connection, whatever the goal is. And um, it becomes, and nobody wants this to happen, but it becomes all about uh, meeting the programmatic needs of the church through people that you put through your funnel. So we've got all these things going and we need more people. So this is the way to do it. We're, we want you to attend. We want you to connect. We want you to serve. And, and that's kind of what happens. Instead of the model of what you're talking about, which, which I really love, getting the inward discipleship aspect uh, trained and dealt with, and not even making reference to what that looks like in the, in the context of what you're actually going to be doing in the local church, that's not. That's the external thing, like you put it. That's the thing that's that's next, and it will happen. I mean, people will get involved yes. who are internally motivated. But I think that's really what's going on. I think we're discipling people into our church programs and into our growth model for the church, rather than primarily into Christ, which is what we really want to do, because that's what it was like for us when we got saved. That was our great need was to, to learn how to actually live the Christian life, which is impossible without learning Jesus and the work of the Spirit. Yeah, I think, yes, you have, you're tapping into it exactly. We would say that what we're talking about is not a program. We, we don't like using the word. I, and, you know, having some uh, uh, experience in program-run churches, I just, I'm not, I, I, I'm not trying to say nothing happened. I'm not trying to say nobody grew. I'm not trying to say that. I am saying that it's an inefficient way to really get people, um, like you just said, discipled. Instead, we're herding them into our big groups still, into our programs. And there, if you ask, okay, where are you reproducing any of that? It's going to be a low measurement. And, and that's only because we have a different funnel focus on disciple making than the Lord did. And it's, it's part of, this is what I love about Calvary because it's, Calvary is a blend of, yes, we want to do evangelism and reach people and teach them the word. I love that. The other side is we're going to keep it simple. We don't want it to become a program. We want it to be strategic is the way I would say it. Organic is another word. Um, we, if it becomes a program, it's going to have a shelf life. Um, if it becomes a strategy, it's something we do and it becomes life-giving. And I can tell you when we plant in Granbury, we're, we're ramping up to plant in Granbury, Texas, uh, just before Easter. 
the first thing that we will do is we're going to disciple all of our leaders using our new believer follow-up stuff, using only a Bible, no book, no extra stuff, um, just, just the content we get from the Bible and a piece of paper. And we're going to do that because I want a culture that knows that. How do I say it? We want to have a common culture. That And even for older believers, there's nobody getting grandfathered in. We want to do one-on-three so that we have this culture of discipleship. And when we ask new people to come, we put them in these groups. We want to be able to genuinely say, we've all been through it. We got it. We did it because we think it's right. And we want new, we want to value new believers. No, that's great. And that's what you said on your Facebook page. You, uh, after you made the statement about the worst thing Christians and pastors can do is forget what it's like to be a new believer, then you said, here's what we do. We disciple new believers one-on-one, and then we disciple them in sermon-based small groups. And that gets the ball rolling. People now are reproducing. And you've got, like you said, a culture of discipleship was just, it's normal living. It's the normal Christian life now within the context of that church. Yeah, I've made so many mistakes. I've learned from a lot of stuff. And this is not the only way. I know I keep saying that, but I don't want anybody to think we're thinking, oh, this is the only way to do it. But I would say a church, if I were planting a church, the best thing I could do for them is disciple using those essential content things for four months. I can disciple a new believer in four to six months if that person shows up 80% of the time. And then I I want them in a sermon-based small group. So now they're around the word of God, discussing the word, thinking of new believers and younger believers. They're not used to doing the Bible. I mean, if we translate over into that conversation for a moment, they're not used to going into a group and discussing the Bible. They're discussing it at work with people who don't know the Bible. And so now they're listening to people who don't know the Bible and they're thinking what they say is biblical and it's not biblical. Or they get a tone for the Bible that is really unfair to God because God, God's loving, he's gracious, but people will paint the word of God like judgmental and you know all that. Yeah, that's right. Well, this is a great start. I mean, this is very encouraging to me. I'm I'm loving the idea, and 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 I love the the approach, Alan, in, in the sense that, you know, you're not saying I don't think anybody's saying that we've got this perfect, we've got it all wired, we've done it perfectly. No, this is a trial and error process. Uh, but let's let's if we're going to fail, let's fail on an upward curve. <laughs> you yeah, know, you know, let's yeah, just that's good. Let's just get the ball mo- moving and and just see what happens. The Lord will do it. And I think a community of of pastors to be together occasionally by Zoom contact or whatever, just for mutual encouragement, would be awesome. Because I mean, you know, we often kind of feel like we're laboring alone in our field of ministry, and we're not really. But if we can in- include connection with others, then that would help as well. But man, wouldn't it be great if a culture of discipleship would permeate our churches? Check this out. Now, let me throw this out. And and I usually do this when I'm presenting. I tell people last. But if you were to look for organizations that do discipling well, it would be Navigators, Campus Crusade for Christ, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association or Greg Laurie's Evangelistic Association, Harvest, uh, and then you would look at uh, Young Life, um, FCA. Uh, all these ministries, for the most part, go outside the church to do these things. And that is not their only reason for existence, but 
it's sad that you can't point to a church movement that disciples new believers uh, the way that these parachurch organizations do. And I, I, will, I'm, I will tell you here on the podcast that the content that I gave, it comes from Campus Crusade for Christ. Uh, it's just a friend of mine who worked for Bill Bright for all those years and did this stuff. He, he coalesced this stuff together, showed a group of us guys in New Mexico, and it took off. I mean, it just we started seeing so many people come to the, to the Lord in that season, about a two-year period, where we were like, wow, we got to disciple these guys. Now, here's my point. I don't have to study at all to present this content. I, I've, been, I've got it so internalized, I could jump up. And, and I'm not saying that, that, that I do it on my own. I want the Lord in it, of course. I just want to say that once a pastor learns this, it becomes, you don't have to get a book out other than the Bible. You just know where you're going. And that's, that's liberating to a pastor because if it's another thing that a pastor has to do, and another thing that somebody's got to do, and they got to get the book out, and they got to refresh on it. I'm not saying we don't refresh at all, but this this is a part of this is not curriculum. This is life. Yeah, that's great. Nuts and bolts onto the process. That's great. Well, let's uh, let's close the podcast by just let's just saying, okay, what what next now? You're going to make. Uh, material available the outline for show notes yes uh is yes. there is there a way to make some materials that you have more comprehensive materials uh maybe in a google drive or something like that that we can also yes. include in the show notes yes i i have a um, an outline that i can send you a link that gives a four-month overview okay and great. it's going to be longer but it gives a step-by-step -step, this is what you do on this week I meet with somebody, I only need an hour of their time. And again, we're thinking like newer, younger believers, not, not mature believers, because if we do that, we're going to forget what it's like to be a newer, younger believer. Uh, I've got that. I've got a keynote I can send you that I've been looking at during the podcast, just for reference. Um, and I've got handouts. This weekend, I had did a, a Fishers of Men retreat where I used this content and I taught like 30 men from seven churches how to do this follow-up. And um, I print out paper handouts. We don't like to use them. I, don't, I would never use the handouts discipling someone. But when you're new at it, you're going, I need a reference. And so I, I finally got it to the bare bones minimum to where you can print out for each one of the things a, a handout. It, by handout, it's a bulletin insert style thing. You'll see it. I'll send you a link to it. Okay, great, great. That'd be great. So we'll have that that content in the show notes. Uh, at some point, there's going to be some online video connections yes. that guys can get involved with, not just for this uh, podcast, which is about making disciples, but also with the previous one, which had to do with sermon-based small groups. So lots of resources have, have come through, uh, you and your background, your experience, which is going to be really helpful, and I'm, I'm looking forward to that. So they get in touch with you by uh, either Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. The name, yes. Alan Stoddard, S-T-O-D-D-A-R-D. And so that's basically how to do it, and you're all over the place. <laughs> yep, and I'm going to put together a, um, 
two things. I'm going to do one on this new believer thing and I'm going to promo it out. And if anybody wants to be a part of that Zoom call, we'll make it probably just no more than an hour, but probably 45 minutes. Okay. And I'll do a little run through of what it all looks like. Okay, great. So be look, be looking for that. Well, yeah, I want to be part of that. And please, uh, if you want to mention yeah. my name in it as you you know get the word out, please do. Because uh, okay. I, definitely, I definitely will want to be a part of that. That's great. Any last words, not last, last words, but any final right. words to wrap up this podcast? Go ahead. I would just say thank you, Bill, for the love. Thank you for the friendship. Thank you for what you do for the body of Christ through the podcast. It's, it's really helpful. Uh, helps us guys uh, out here not be alone on the conversations that matter. And then um, look forward to uh, partnering up with anybody and everybody that wants to be a part in the days ahead. All right. Thank you for joining us, Alan. It's been great. And we've been discussing the idea of making disciples in our churches. Podcast number 128, Strength for Today's Pastor with Pastor Alan Stoddard, currently living with his wife, Gina, in Granbury, Texas. So until next time, God bless you and look forward to seeing what God is going to do through these amazing resources we've discussed. Amen. Strength for Today's Pastor is sponsored by Pointman Ministries. You can find us at pointmanministries.com. That's spelled P-O-I-M-E-N ministries.com. If something in today's program prompts a question or comment, or if you have a topic idea for a future episode, just shoot us an email at strongerpastors at gmail.com. That's strongerpastors at gmail.com. May the Lord bless you as you serve Him, His pastors, and His church.